Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 4. We're going to spend two weeks on verse 4 here and consider the first half of it. Uh, let, me, let me begin by just reading uh, in verse 1, though. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon says this of parenting. Uh, he says, uh, he who thinks that it is easy to bring up a family had never had one of his own. A mother who trains her children in a right had need be wiser than Solomon for his son turned out to be a fool. And, and Spurgeon in his pithy way that he always uh, brings out truth pointed out that Solomon, the wisest man on earth, raised a fool. And the wisdom it takes to raise children. And this charge in our text is to parents. And uh, anyone who has is a parent knows how difficult uh, it is. Uh, you know, when we look out in our culture, we look at all these young people, so many filled with anger, so many young men filled with anger. And we wonder, how does this come to be? that a child's heart gets filled with anger, and yet our text before us today uh, may give us insight into it. John Stott says this. He says, What we know is that parents can easily misuse their authority, either by making irritating or unreasonable demands, which makes no allowances for the inexperience, for inexperience and immaturity of children, or by harshness and cruelty at the one extreme, or by favoritism and overindulgence at the other, or by humiliating and suppressing them, or by those two vindictive weapons, sarcasm and ridicule. These are some of the parental attitudes which provoke resentment and anger in children. How many angry young men, hostile to society at large, have learned their hostility as children in an unsympathetic home. He says, there is a place for discipline, as Paul goes on to say, but it must never be arbitrary, for children have a built-in sense of justice or unkind. Otherwise, they become discouraged. Conversely, almost nothing causes a child's personality to blossom and gifts to develop like the positive encouragement of loving and understanding parents. Indeed, just as a husband's love for his wife is expressed in helping her develop her full potential, so parents' love for their children is expressed 
in helping them develop theirs. And so there, Stott aptly points out the impact parents can have on children. That just as a wife who is loved blossoms out of that, so children who are raised in a family uh, that uh, cares for them and, and shows them the love of Christ uh, will also tend to blossom in that. Uh, a question I think many parents find themselves asking is uh, they find that one of their children rebels or uh, walks away from God and surely that every child is an individual and they're accountable to God on their own behalf and parents could do raise their children really well and still have children go astray. That, that, that's all true. But many parents ask themselves the question, what went wrong? And if they're honest, if they're willing to look in, they can admit that maybe they did play a role in the rebellion or in the anger or rejection uh, a child uh, grows up uh, to have. And so we have this text, Ephesians 6, 4. There's a negative command and then a positive command. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, growing up, or the last 20 years being in the conservative uh, community, Christian community, uh, a lot of my friends homeschool, uh, raise their uh, families and uh, uh, by uh, homeschooling them. The verse that I would hear quoted more than anything is this verse, except they would delete half the verse. They would say, we must raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. In the fear and admonition of the Lord. But God doesn't give us the verse that way through the Apostle Paul. That's not how the verse comes to us. It comes to us first with a negative command. A do not Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. There's a check on raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And the check is this. Do not provoke your children to anger. I find this similar to Peter's commands to husbands in 1 Peter 3.7 when he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Wives might think, well, how come Peter gives six verses about wives submit to your husbands and one verse to husbands? And the answer, I think, is because in that one verse, it is so general and widespreading that it encompasses so much. Live with your wives in an understanding way. How far does that Go. Do not provoke your children to anger is the same way. 
In fact, we're going to have a whole sermon on those words there because it overcompasses all of parenting. It's God's protection. When God gives someone authority, like husbands, He checks it with live with your wives in an understanding way. Love them as Christ loved the church. In fact, in Ephesians 6, 9, just a, a few verses from where we are, when He's speaking to masters and slaves, He says, Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening knowing that He, who is both their Master and yours in heaven, uh, are knowing that He, who is both their Master and yours in heaven, and there is no partiality with Him. There's a warning for those who are in authority, whether you run a business, uh, whether you're a teacher, whatever authority God has put in your life, God wants to say, remember, be careful how you treat them. For I ultimately am the authority over you. And so this is how we see this verse uh, functioning. Um, Colossians 3.21 is helpful. So this is a parallel passage to that. And, and here's how Paul says it uh, to the church at Colossae. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so what we see in this verse, in Ephesians 6.4, is the fundamental charge to bring up. One way you could read this verse is, Fathers, do, do not provoke your children to anger or discouragement, which would bring them down, but bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord or in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's don't bring them down. You're to raise them up. That's how we're to be thinking as we approach this. This would be the main charge uh, of this verse but let's look at the negative command. Fathers, do not provoke uh, your children to anger. Uh, fathers, someone might say, well, why is it not mothers? Well, there's a debate among commentators whether the father as the leader of the home, if the mother is included in this. Uh, just as we, uh, Paul would address brothers, he also means sisters. He doesn't always say brothers and sisters, but they're included. In the same way, uh, just as children are to obey their parents in the first three verses, uh, it would be wrong for a father to provoke their children to anger, just as it would be wrong for a mother to provoke their children uh, to anger. Now, it could be that the Apostle Paul sees a tendency for fathers to do this more, and I think he would probably be right uh, to, to see uh, the tendency of that. But the context is shocking. This would be shocking to those in Ephesus, in, in the Roman Empire. Uh, fathers uh, in the Roman culture... Uh, 
would be in stark contrast to this command. <laughs> this would be laughable to them. In fact, William, William Barclay says, the Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands, for the law was in his own hands, and punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his own child. So to hear this Christian command that as new uh, people, uh, born-again people uh, in Christ, to hear the command, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, would have been incredibly counter-cultural in Paul's day. Uh, and the first... Uh, Thing we want to think about is if, if we're going to say, so why aren't we supposed to provoke them to anger? One of the things I want you to see is this, is because you'll be a major picture of what your children think of when they think of God. You realize that? Your children's picture of what God is like is first and fundamentally going to come from their father and, and their mother. What is he like? Is he hard and difficult and unforgiving? Does he lose his temper quickly? What is God like? I know that uh, all of us as parents feel the conviction of how short we fall of the standard of Jesus Christ. But how good it is for God to charge us as parents, to guard us, to ask us, to give us a command like this, and to be aware of what can happen so easily. Charles Spurgeon says this, May not your child's conduct to you be a fair reflection of your own conduct towards your heavenly Father. So the way your children respond to you, Spurgeon says, might be a good picture of the way you respond to your heavenly Father. That's because that's how they would learn it. Spurgeon also says, you can generally meet, read a man's character in his boy's face in his boy's conduct, and in, in his conversation. Just pointing out how big a role a parent has in their children and in their children's uh, conduct. What do your children think of God? What do they think of Him? Do our children find as they look at us, do they see us excited about who God is and the relationship we get to have with Him? What sort of attitudes does God produce in you that you would want your children to have towards God? Is God good? Do your children believe God is good? Why would they believe that? 
Would they see thanksgiving? Would they see mercy flowing from us because we've been shown mercy? Fathers, I'll never forget my uh, biblical masculinity professor saying, you set the ethos for your home. If If you're a complainer, your family will be complainers. If you complain about the weather, your kids will complain about the weather. Who made the weather? God made the weather. What are you teaching your children to be like? If you're thankful, they'll be thankful. If you have a good attitude in the midst of difficulty, if you have hope in God in the midst of difficulty, you'll teach them to have hope in God in the midst of difficulty. We are called to bring them up, not to bring them down. The lion's share of this message is just thinking of the practical ways. As I read the commentaries, I was surprised in this little section, do not provoke your children to anger, the commentators fleshed out what this would look like. I originally, when I would read this verse, I just thought of like momentary like moments. Like, um, don't tease your children. They might start crying, you know. My children will quote this verse back, back to me from memory. They know it. They'll tell you where it's found and everything. They'll get every word right. And, and usually they do that if, if I'm teasing them a little bit. And I shouldn't do that. That is, that is true. I need to hear the Word of God as they remind me of it. But this word is in the... Uh, active tense. It's a a command, it's an imperative in the present active tense, which means do not provoke your children to anger is do not carry yourself in such a way that you continually are provoking so that you slowly build resentment in your children's hearts against you. It's talking about kind of the whole attitude of your parenting, not so much just a momentary uh, 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 thing. It's more the all-encompassing attitude of it. And and so we want to think through uh, what are the different ways parents might provoke their children to anger. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this. It is true, someone can't cause you to sin, right? Someone can provoke you to sin, but the person who sins is always accountable themselves. That is true. But we do have verses uh, like 1 John 2.10 that says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So, loving a brother or loving your children in this sense would take part in not throwing stumbling blocks in front of them. Romans 14.21 says this, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, they're still accountable for any sinful act they do, but we don't want to be the circumstance of someone stumbling. We want to help people live 
righteous lives, not tempt them to sin. In Luke 17.1, uh, Jesus says to the disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Right? It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. And there he's speaking about false teachers that would lead uh, uh, contrary to the gospel. Parents, you're going to sin. <laughs> and your sin is going to have negative effects on your children. There's grace for you in Christ. This whole text is standing on top of the grace of God that has been shining forth in Ephesians. But let us seek to look in and ask the difficult questions and see how we might provoke our children to anger. Now, there's a documentary that just has come out I think it's called The Shiny Happy People. And it's in regards to uh, people that were affected by Bill Gothard's uh, ministry. Uh, a very fundamentalist, uh, authoritarian approach uh, to parenting uh, that seemed to miss the first half of this verse. And the documentary goes through and uh, and basically is interviewing now grown children, the effects that it had on their life. And the Duggar family, maybe you're familiar with, they're a family that was, uh, there's a lot to be thankful uh, there, uh, but there's, there really is a lot to critique and a lot to, to look at and see how they missed, uh, especially this text that's before us uh, today. Uh, so what I did is as I read the commentaries and I took the lists of, of the way commentators thought through this, I, I kind of combined lists and, and added some of my own. And so the rest of this sermon is just going to be real practical, uh, giving us uh, things to think through. Um, so different ways parents might provoke their children to anger, you know, obviously would be discouraging words and the actions. Uh, and obviously the extreme forms of these would be verbal abuse and physical abuse. You know, verbal abuse would be extreme words of discouragement, and, and physical ab uh, abuse obviously would be, could be sexual in nature, or it could just be harming your children. It's, it's not, obviously want to be referring to like spanking or discipline, disciplining your children in love in a reasonable way. Uh, Colossians 3 that we already looked at, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. It is very true that children need a lot of correction and a lot of discipline. It's just a fact. Children need lots of correction. They need lots of discipline. That is, that, that is definitely true. But it's also true that children need a lot of patience from their parents, a lot of mercy, 
a lot of grace and love and encouragement. That's just who they are. They start out as physical infants, let alone spiritual infants. They need patience. They need grace. They need mercy. I mean, as you think of your parenting, think about your Heavenly Father. (laughs) Think about what you've needed and what you have been shown. That encouragement children need is also is always to be encouragement in Christ and in their value as image bearers of God. And if they're Christians, as as those who represent Christ, we're to encourage them not in the modern psychological way that is just just even if they do something bad, just tell them it was good. It's not the self-esteem sort of, sort of encouragement they need. They need to function in reality. But as we help them function in reality, we need to help them repent of their sins. Show them the mercy of God. Encourage them where we see evidences of grace in their life. And so the first one there... Uh, essentially uh, speaks for itself. What category would you put your words in? I mean, we've already been charged in Ephesians to build one another up. To not have corrupting talk come out of our mouth. So as parents, I think we can just do this. Every word that comes out of our mouth, you can ask yourself, was, was that the type of word that builds up or was it a corrupting word? Now we can say a lot of true things in a corrupting way, with a corrupting attitude. So the standard for us, a lot of times as, as conservative Christians, the, the, the standard can just be, well, is it true? But really the attitude and the heart in which the words are being spoken, are they meant to build up or are they meant to tear down. And as parents, we might even mean to build up, but say things in ways that actually the effect it has is it tears down. The, the, the second way that we can uh, find ourselves provoking our children to anger might be in showing favoritism. You know, one of the, the things one of the commentators pointed out is you look at Jacob and Esau, and how uh, Isaac showed favoritism uh, towards Esau, and and Rebekah showed favoritism uh, towards Jacob. And look at what that did to that family. Look at the division that was created as there was favoritism uh, being shown uh, from one to the other. And the thing that was pointed out that was interesting is those effects, those lines of people still to this day are, have animosity towards each other. I mean, you think about the influence, the impact a parent can have on their children. Now, I don't know, we don't probably want to blame um, Isaac and Rebecca too much, but it is 
amazing to think about the lasting effects uh, of what showing favoritism could, could be. If you're the one that feels like favoritism is continually being shown that parents uh, more, more than likely would tend towards the one that challenges them less, <laughs> that makes their life easier, is probably going to be favorited. Uh, but discouragement, resentfulness, a withdrawn, bitter child is likely to come from maybe your child that does struggle more with sin, maybe is less obedient. And, and so, uh, as we consider how not to provoke our children to anger, let's think through that. And then thirdly, unreasonable demands. Let me just read a story that, that John MacArthur wrote about in this regard. He says, I once visited a young woman who was confined to a padded cell and was in a state catonic or, and was in a state of catonic shock. She was a Christian and had been raised in a Christian family, but her mother had ceaselessly pushed her to be the most popular, beautiful, and successful girl in school. She became the head cheerleader, the homecoming queen, and later a model. But the pressure to excel became too great, and she had a complete mental collapse. After she was eventually released from the hospital, she went back to the same artificial and demanding environment. When again she found she could not cope, she committed suicide. She summed up her frustration when she told me one day, I don't care, or, I don't care what it is I do, it never satisfies my mother. And so here... He was obviously counseling a girl who had a demanding mother, overly demanding to perfection. She could never please her mother. You know, one of the most terrible things a person can have is perfectionism. Perfectionism is a type of pride that upon everyone else living with the perfectionist. Uh, uh, in our culture, it's held up at the, as this honorable thing, but everyone else suffers under perfectionism. It's bad theology as Christians. It, 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 it's wrong to expect perfection. You know, one of the questions people could even ask is, was Jesus' work when he built a chair perfect? Here's what we know from the Scripture. He never sinned. That's what we know. So potentially, you'd be holding a higher standard than, you know, when Jesus first started as a carpenter, you think he got better as he grew and became better at doing it? And so unreasonable demands. So what does the Scripture expect out of our children? L listen to 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul tells them, Aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So is, is that your ambition for your children, the same Paul would have for your children? That they would just live quiet lives? Or do you want them to succeed? Do you want them to be the best? 
You want them to have the world look at them and say, whoa, look at that. That's not the standard the Scripture puts on them. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 3.12. Now such persons as we com- are such persons we command and encourage in the Lord to do their work quietly and earn their own living. All right? We live in a culture that just holds up. How much money can you make? How high of status can you get in society? Can you be the best one in your class, the valedictorian? This is what we hold up. And the pressure we can put on our children. Sometimes we expect our children, you know, we talked, as, as I talked to the children two weeks ago, I said, obey right away without delay. Right from the start with a joyful heart. Now, that's what you're to strive for, children. But parents, do you obey right away without delay? Do you need the grace of God? Do you need mercy? as God's working on you or as you're reading Scripture and and, and you're being convicted. So as parents, we need to not be unreasonable. We need to recognize uh, what it takes for us to grow and what it also takes for them. Um, And then number four, uh, giving love as a form of This is one I wouldn't have thought of, but I read about. To dish out love to your children as a form of reward is not the way God loves us. So to withhold love because they did something bad as a form of discipline is the opposite of the way God disciplines us. Listen to Hebrews 12.5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when approved by Him. So why shouldn't I be weary? Here's why. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. And so rather than withholding love as a form of discipline, what we need to figure out how to do is in our discipline, demonstrate our great love for them in it. You see that? That's important. How are your children to know when you discipline them? You're not just irritated with them and tired of them and want them out of of your face. How are they going to know that? Well, it's going to be in the way you discipline them. And and, in a big part, it's going to be in your attitude and the tone of your voice, and, and, you, and also in your consistency. Um, another way uh, to provoke our children to anger would be to try to manipulate them uh, to guilt, to try to manipulate guilt out of your children for your own ends. You know, it's pretty easy to make a child feel guilty, and then when they feel guilty, they'll do what you want them to do. And... And the reason why parents do that seems like such a terrible thing. But the reason why parents usually do that is because they've made their children their idol. I can can already tell you in my own heart as I see 
Ellen Hope growing up and becoming more independent. And they might want to do something without their dad. (laughs) Heaven forbid, right? (laughs) That my heart can actually want to, even cracking a little joke, send a little bit of guilt about growing up. Now, why would I do that? I would do that because my children would be becoming an idol in my life. Another way is being overprotective. Here's another one I could fail in. I couldn't figure out how to say it better than John MacArthur wrote it, so I'm just going to read you this paragraph. Here's what he says. He says, parents who smother their children, overly strict where they can go and what they can do, never trust them to do things on their own, and continually question their judgment, build a barrier between themselves and their children, usually under the delusion that they are building a closer relationship. So so let that set in. So parents, we can be thinking we're building a closer relationship as we're overly protective when in fact the very thing you might be building is a barrier. And then he says this, children need careful guidance in certain restrictions, but they are individual human beings in their own right and must learn to make decisions on their own and uh, commensurate with their age and maturity. So they need to make decisions that are appropriate for their age and maturity. Their wills uh, can be guided, but they cannot be controlled. So parents, that's just important to know. You can't control the will of your children. You can help guide the will of your children, but you can't control it. That's surely a way to raise children that at the first opportunity will rebel. Another way is to neglect them. Neglect can come in many forms. Now, neglect sounds terrible. I don't think any of us would say, I'm guilty of neglecting uh, my children in the worst sense. But we do neglect our children in some sense, all of us, if we're honest. It can come in many forms, not making time for them making all your decisions as parents based on your own selfish desires and not your children's, uh, by not considering them. Uh, You also can neglect them by giving free reign. Just let your children do whatever they want. You know, we see that in our culture. People neglect their children by just saying, oh yeah, you go do whatever you want. You're on your own. So it can take uh, different forms. Uh, One commentator says this, that children who are made to feel that they are an intrusion, that they are always in the way and interfere with the plans and happiness of the parents, cannot help but becoming resentful. To such children, the parents themselves will eventually become unwanted and an intrusion on the children's plans and happiness. That's one that I think just every parent ought to think through. 
Do your, do, do your children feel like they're an intrusion in on your life, interfering with your plans and your happiness? Or do they see themselves as what God says they are, which is His blessing on you? Children are a gift from the Lord. A, a, a family home that is motivated by legalism rather than the gospel. Legalism, though it often sounds so good and holy and righteous, actually will bring forth death as it produces pride and is fundamentally exercising a hypocritical judgment. So there's a sense where it can be appetizing to a person that wants to follow everything from the Scripture to just say, here's our family rules, and, and, but what can build in that family is pride. It can build in the pride of the parents and in the pride of the children. And in that home, though it might look good on the outside, when the door is shut, it's not life that reigns there. It's heartache. There's not mercy. Um, Romans 2, 3 says this, Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge, are you who judge those who practice such things, yet do them yourselves, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of His kindness in forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Two things there. Don't be hypocritical in judging others. Don't make hypocritical judgment. But secondly, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. It's God's forbearance that is to lead us to repentance. And it ought to be the same thing for us as parents uh, with our children. Finally, uh, nine, failure of parents to repent. I got good news for all you parents that feel really convicted right now. The best thing you can do with your, for your children is not be perfect parents. You won't be. The best thing you can be for your children is repentant parents who are broken over your own failure, in your own sin, in your parenting, and are willing to confess it yes, even in front of your children, and to ask for forgiveness from them. Because when you provoke your children to anger, you sin against God and you sin against them. And the best thing a child needs is not a perfect parent, but the model of parents who will be humble enough to recognize their own sin and ask for forgiveness. If they perceive you as perfect, that'll set them on a course to destroy them. And besides, they don't perceive you as perfect. <laughs> they see you acting like you think you're perfect and they know you're not. What that builds in their hearts is this hypocrisy. And so what's the standard? I just want to leave you with this. What's the standard? Let me leave you with so next week, you, you might say, well, you, you were too soft on the kids this week. Well, next week we're looking at the discipline 
and raising our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. This week, God is putting His arms over this and showing us the attitude over it, all right? So, so what should our attitudes be as parents? What should the standard be? Listen to how Jesus calls us to Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's how Jesus calls us to come to Him. That's how He describes Himself. Parents, we ought to have this same character qualities that Christ had that would draw sinners to Him. Our children, who are, yes, sinners and often rebellious, would they be drawn to you? How about James uh, 1.19? Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Parents, have you ever seen yourself become sinfully angry and that produce any righteous thing in your family? No. It's just like a disease. that it comes, One person's angry and then all of a sudden the whole family's angry. Just, just that fast it can happen. How it, what is God like when He represented Himself before Moses? Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers uh, on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So when God says, this is what I'm like as a father, <laughs> he, does it surprise you that he says, the Lord merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity? This is what God's like. Parents, this is what we're shooting for. Yes, we have to deal with discipline. And we're going to talk about that next week. But what's the heart of the one doing it? What's it like? A couple more. Matthew 9.10 and as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. So they were given homework. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy. God wants to see out of our lives mercy. Come and worship. We have all of our I's dotted and T's crossed. We got all of our theology in order. 
we lack mercy, it doesn't please him. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Parents, I just want to leave you with this last warning. Those who show mercy receive mercy. Matthew 7, 1 says this, judge not and you'll not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Have you ever thought about what that means? I know we're at the end of the message. I just want you to catch this. Do you really believe Jesus meant what he said? That the judgment that you judge other people with, to the level you're critical with other people, that you judge other people, that God, we tend to think, you know, God just deals with everyone equally. That's not what Jesus just said. Jesus just said he'll measure back to you the same judgment, the same criteria that you have on other people. So this should be a check on our parenting. How do we want God to deal with me? Okay, well then, maybe I should deal with my children in a similar way. I would want God to deal with me. How do I want to treat my brother and sister in Christ? How critical do I want to be? How critical of I do I want to have on a brother and sister in Christ? Jesus says, well, how critical do you want to be judged? That's what that, that's what that means. And so what will we do with the high calling God has given us as fathers and mothers how will you use the place of authority that God has given you in the family, parents? That's the question we need to ask. I want to end with one commentary. Uh, a, a guy sent uh, this man a letter and he says, basically, if he could do it all over again as a parent, he says, here's what he would do. He says, my family is all grown up and the kids are all gone. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more, even to the littlest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses, never pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I'd focus on me. I would do more things together with my children. I would encourage them more and bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to the little things like the deeds and the words of thought like deeds and words of thought, thoughtfulness. And then finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened in an ordinary day, I would use it to direct them to God. 